0: Hey folks, this is Steve Bradley once again coming to you with another teaching from God's Word. And I've called this one Healing and Feeding because those are the two main topics at the end of chapter 15, uh, verses 29 through 35. So here's our text. Jesus departed from there, skirting the ski of Galilee, and went up into the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel." Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat and I don't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So his disciples said to him, Where could we possibly get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Now these were truly amazing days, folks. The maimed made whole. I think of that, and I think of people who were missing limbs, who perhaps had withered arms that wouldn't work because they had had one of the diseases like polio that just makes you unable to really do anything. Their bodies were damaged and Jesus healed them too. Same with the cripples and the blind, people who just couldn't walk. Maybe they had a spinal problem. Who knows? And the blind. Oh the blind were so terrible in those days because there were eye infections that took away your eyesight and they couldn't be cured because there was no medication. Jesus healed all of these people with no fanfare. Now I want to contrast mentally for you if you've ever watched a televangelist. Benny Hinn comes to mind. Oral Roberts in Days Gone By and so on. Contrast what happened here. Televangelists do one, often fake, or maybe they do a few, healings. They do them to great fanfare, and everyone is supposed to say how great and anointed they are. Jesus healed everyone, and there was no fanfare. It was like, I'm going to heal all these people now. Everybody sit down who's well, and I'm going to take care of these sick. And he did it. He did it so easily and so well. Jesus advertising. Now it appears to me that Jesus did not advertise his works until he did them. For example in John 5 he goes to the pool of Bethesda and there's a sick guy lying there, actually there were a lot of sick people, and Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? And the guy says, well I don't have anyone to put me into the water the legend was of course that there was an angel who moved the water and so on. Well Jesus says, well take up your bed and walk. Go home. It was like that. It wasn't like, hey everybody come around, watch what I can do. He just did it. And The crowds were really his advertisers. Now this is how it should be, not that announcing your presence is wrong. But Jesus didn't need to tell people about his power to heal. He just did it. And the newly well people were his advertising. Now this is an important distinction. Because we live in an age of over-promise, under-deliver this changes everything we hear this is so wonderful you'll love this new product politicians they promise prosperity and they deliver inflation and recession and so on Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He just did it. He didn't need to discuss his greatness. He showed it. And as he said, either believe me or believe me for the work's sake and his works always fit his teaching. Always. Now this brings me to a point that I need to make here because Jesus' works were meant to show he was equal with God. John chapter 5 verse 18 John makes the comment, he says, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, that is Jesus, because he not only broke the Sabbath but also said that God was his Father Now look at this last phrase, making himself equal with God. The Jews understood that if God was Jesus' Father then Jesus had the Father's nature and that made him equivalent with God, equal with God. And the word translated equal in John chapter 5 verse 18 in Greek is isos which is a term of mathematical equivalence. For example, we talk about an isosceles triangle, a triangle with two equal isos sides. When I say that Jesus claimed equality with God, I mean complete and absolute equality. He subordinated himself, yes. He laid aside the independent exercise of his divine attributes, yes. As Philippians chapter 2 tells us, he humbled himself, he emptied himself, but he was always and truly God when he was down here, <clears throat> he is always and truly God now, and also fully man. He wasn't some sort of phantom who appeared on the scene and pretended to be real. He a man. You could touch him. He sweat. He got tired. He sat on a well. He ate food. He was a man. Now these are not my words but Jesus' words that he's God. Jesus even called himself the I am in John chapter 8 verse 58. And if you're acquainted with the Bible you know that that is one of the names of God. God called himself the I am in front of Moses when Moses met him at the burning bush. God said, Moses said, what is your name? And the Lord says, I am. And so Jesus said to the Jews most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was That is, before Abraham came into existence, that is a word that actually does mean to come into existence. And then he says, I am. And that is a word that simply means I am. I exist. I've always been, I always will be, and here I am now. The Jews actually understood this quite well for they took up stones to stone him. They wanted to kill him for his blasphemy against the Father. The next thing we see is that Jesus feeds 4,000 people with a few loaves and fish. Now I'm kind of intrigued by the text here because it appears to me that the disciples knew what Jesus would do. So it says Jesus called his disciples to himself and said I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and they have nothing to eat and I don't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So his disciples said to him where could we possibly get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Now I think that this is a rhetorical question. I can't prove it because the, the text doesn't give us space to do that, but I think the disciples knew what he was going to do. He was going to multiply the loaves and fish just like he had did he had done excuse me, when he fed the 5,000. It's possible, of course, that I'm wrong, but every time I replay this in my head, it comes out like well, gosh, Lord, where could we possibly get loaves and fish? I mean, you know, I, we don't know, Lord. What about you? Who could do that? In other words, I think that they relied on the Lord to do a repeat miracle. In any event, he did exactly that. He created more loaves and fish out of the few they had. And once more, we see Jesus' creative power at work. This is like his beginning miracle in John 2, when he turned the water into wine. It's a miracle that demonstrates he can create things. He can make wine out of water, and by the way for those who think that people always drank grape juice, um, no. He made hundred and eighty gallons of it. That's a lot. Of regular, real wine. Alcoholic wine, just like we know wine today. So Jesus can not only fix what's broken, but even if it doesn't exist, he can create it. This is what I think was happening in the healings that he did. Can't prove it. But let's say you are unable to walk. What's wrong? Well maybe it's a spinal problem. Maybe it's a problem with your legs that they just won't work. Jesus simply makes them work. Jesus breaks up the bread and the fish and they just become more. And that is how God creates things. It isn't some amazing fanfare type thing, of course, when he created the universe it was, but he just makes it. He does it. It's in his hands. And so with Jesus, this is one more announcement of his deity. He is the God-man who calls things that don't exist as if they do. That means he calls non-existent things into existence. Only God creates. Jesus creates. Therefore He is God manifest in the flesh. Now there are some life lessons that uh, I want us to consider here. Following Him means you get to see what He's doing. And Jesus is never doing nothing. I mean if you're a follower of Jesus Christ you know what I'm talking about. He's always working, always doing something. And if you do follow Him and you pay attention you will have a life filled with blessings knowing Him and His great works. We pray and God does things and we marvel at His grace and power. My son, for example, had a vision problem. It was so serious that we doubted he would be able to graduate high school because he could hardly read. It wasn't his brain. His brain was fine. His mental abilities. And I remember praying about this and I remember going out into an area that we had that was sort of wilderness and I just prayed and I asked the Lord to heal him. And the problem disappeared. My son is now an attorney, a partner in his firm, big firm. friend of mine developed epileptic seizures and this actually happened before I started attending the church but he talked about it. And the seizures just went away when the elders of the church prayed over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, as it tells us in James 5, to do. They just disappeared. <clears throat> Another time, one of the missionaries in that same church had developed a very serious illness and he simply couldn't get well. He was sick, 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 what's every doctor you could imagine Once again, the elders anointed him with oil and prayed over him. And he got well. On the other hand, Jesus and his disciples were still men, so they got on a boat and traveled where they needed to go. John chapter 4, they go into town to buy food. Why would they do that? Couldn't Jesus just take the fish and loaves and Sure they could. But they were subject to the normal rules of human life. And in the same way God may honor us with many wonderful things that he does. But we're still men and women. We're subject to the necessities of life. Sometimes we struggle to make ends meet. Other times we're sick. We wonder if our time has come. Other times we don't have transportation. Other, we are just subject to the things that happen in life. But in all these things God is with us and on our side because we belong to his wonderful son Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you come to belong to Jesus? You just ask. You turn to Him. You turn away from the ugly things that have been in your life and you turn to Him and you say, Lord Jesus, please save me. That's it. That's all you've got to do. I pray God blesses you and fills your life with His presence and with His joy today. This is Steve Bradley signing off as God's wordsmith, hoping that God fills your life with his presence and with his joy. Praise the Lord.